Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024. Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year to Matt Ho joins us now. Matt, my heartfelt thanks for all the time you gave us last year and my hope and expectation you can share as much time as you can spare with us in the coming year because the fans like you and you educate me every time we talk and it's much appreciated. Thank you, Judge, and Happy New Year you, uh, to Chris, to all who are involved with this program and everyone who's watching it and listening. And uh, yeah, I, I am very grateful to have been able to come on here this last year uh, and be a part of something um, that I believe is really making a difference in terms of how people understand this world and how people then take action with this world. Uh, and what well, we're up well, against- I'll tell you, I get to interview people and say things that in my 24 happy years at Fox, I would not have been able to say and people I would not have been able to interview. So it's, it's liberating and the response, as you know, has been overwhelming. We went from 93 subscriptions to 258,000. So that's in two years and it's very deeply gratifying. And so onwards to half a million now, which I think Thank you. As, as long, I think is there is the audience for that. And the question just becomes, how do we ensure that this type of information, this type of programming is spread widely? And so I'll throw it out to, the, out to that, those who are listening and watching to spread this, to share this, to let people know. Um, well, we have people like you and uh, McGregor and McGovern and Johnson and Ritter who are courageous. I mean, we just had... Uh, Scott Ritter on live from Moscow uh, with one of his colleagues. And the two of them were very courageous. And it's just like you and I are about to have a very candid and refreshing conversation. Um, is Israel losing the war in Gaza? Well, I mean, tactically, we, we, we've, we've spoken about this type of thing before, right? There, there's levels to warfare. There's tactical, there's operational, there's strategic. And then overall, that is the political. Um, and certainly on a tactical level, if it's just as simply a game as it is to many people, uh, including commentators on other platforms, uh, just a, a, a issue of scoring uh, wins and losses uh, just by the devastation, the number of people it kills, Israel can be seen as tactically winning. Operationally, uh, it is moving forward in the sense of of successfully getting to a point where it can implement a, a real ethnic cleansing 
uh, campaign. I mean, it's already begun one, but really to ensure that Gaza is emptied of the Gazans of the Palestinians. So operationally, uh, it is uh, moving forward with that. But then strategically and politically, you look at where does this go, though? What happens here? Uh, the world is against it. The world was already against it, but now it's even th that that has solidified. Uh, it is now facing uh, a, a, a charge of genocide in the International Crime of Court of Justice brought forward by South Africa. It is facing a rebellion on the high seas uh, led by the Houthis of Yemen in terms of blockading Israeli ships from reaching Israeli ports. Uh, I mean, so uh, then, but also too, it, the, the isolation Isolation. And then as well, then how does this end its security problems? How does this bring stability to Israel? And I think many in Israel think that the way you get to that is through ethnic cleansing, is through this genocidal campaign. But there are also those who realize that that's simply not possible. You're only going to end up with something worse than what you have now, uh, whether it's an aggrieved Palestinian population that has now this catastrophe larger than any of the previous catastrophes. If that's, you know, somehow believable, but it is. Uh, but then also too, the, the threat that could come from the expansion of this war, uh, whether it is now going to take that war into Lebanon, uh, whether that war could then expand to Syria, bring the Iraqis in, of course, bring the Iranians in. Quite possibly, we've talked about this judge, bring the Turks in and somehow, uh, mm. you know, you could have an issue with the Egyptians. I mean, so you have a history of of these Arab-Israeli wars where the background and the context is often left out. Well, why did these Arab nations go against Israel? Well, the reason why is because they were going to defend the Palestinians. Why did they, quote, gang up, unquote, on Israel? Well, because they saw themselves as being responsible for the Palestinian people, as the ones who have to do something to present, prevent uh, ethnic cleansing, to prevent genocide. And so we see that again. And so when you look at this question of whether Israel is winning or not, yeah, in the short term, on the day-to-day -day basis, on just like a, the perspective of how many buildings have they destroyed, how many people have they killed, how many right. bombs they have dropped, sure. You know, in that case, the Americans, we won, you know, we won in Iraq then. We won in Afghanistan then. But, you know, overall, though, when you look at the larger picture, what does this lead to and what can come from this? What are the second and third order effects? And does this really bring actual stability and security to Israel, not just uh, uh, not just, uh, uh, you know, a military type security, physical security. But what about economic security? We've seen the Israeli economy hemorrhaging right now because of this blockade, because of uh, of this blockade of, of, of Israeli ports, but also, too, because of the, the wider effects of this war on Gaza. Uh, we can get all into that, but also in the political aspects. How does this affect the Israeli public when you have people like Bezalel Smotrich or, or, or Itmar Ben-Gavir, these far-right nationalists, getting their way? Where does that lead the country politically in terms of just the Israeli public? So, I mean, that certainly is my estimation that they are not winning this war, that they are losing it. And every day they continue on with this ethnic cleansing campaign, as well as this uh, fascination with potentially expanding the war. We just saw today uh, Israel launch strikes uh, into Beirut, which killed the deputy Hamas uh, commander, also a number of civilians as well. But this idea that they will or, or there is at least an element within Israel that wants to expand this war. Uh, you know, where would that lead to? Here's um, this is number three, Chris. Here's the a summary of the South African complaint 
and the summary of the Israeli uh, response of the International Criminal Court, you tell me which is the more credible of the two. South Africa's court application says Israel's acts are genocidal in character, intended to bring about the destruction of a substantial part of the Palestinian national, racial and ethnical group. Israel has rejected the claim, calling it blood libel. In a statement, it said, South Africa's claim lacks both a factual and a legal basis and constitutes despicable and contemptuous exploitation of the court. Seems to, it seems to have a factual and legal basis to me and probably to you. Right, right. It, it's, I think you're going to see for Israel and its, its defenders, you know, including our government judge, the United States government, which, you know, by the, the genocide convention of 1948, there's a clause in there that makes other parties complicit. So other nations can be complicit in the genocidal acts of other countries. And certainly, I think by any standard, our government has met that uh, met, met, met that requirement as well, as well as the fact that there are U.S. laws where genocide is illegal. So you see our own government judge in violation of both federal U.S. federal law and international law. And I think if you look at that South African complaint, uh, the factual basis of it, while versus the Israeli response, the emotional basis. And I, I think that what you what, what what they're falling back upon, the Israelis will fall back upon is their relationship with the U.S., that nothing will matter as long as the U.S. backs them and the U.S. is going to back them because the U.S., uh, you know, to get into larger issues of, of how corrupt our political system is, is owned in many ways by the Israeli lobby, at least in this case. Uh, so, you know, the Israelis see no real need to take this seriously as long as the U.S. is backing them. Uh, I mean, certainly the Israelis are, there are parts of the Israelis society that are very concerned about this, but at least for the far right, those in Netanyahu's government, I think they can, they feel like they can thumb their nose at this as long as they're holding the U.S. by its nose. Isn't Joe Biden being utterly reckless by deepening the American involvement, the American complicity in war crimes, exposing himself and his administration, perhaps, and there's no statute of limitations on any of this stuff, perhaps in a different era to the types of prosecutions we saw after World War II? <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. I think Joe Biden and, and, and those with him in Washington, D.C. have the same view as Israelis. Well, we'll just pass a law in the U.S. Congress sanctioning 
the International Court of Justice. We'll just condemn it ourselves. And you can see the U.S. House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate doing that. We've already done that with the International Criminal Court, forbidding the International Criminal Court from ever investigating U.S. war crimes. But this, uh, with this case in the International Criminal Court of Justice, I think the U.S. feels the same way. We'll just do the same thing. We'll just sanction them. We'll thumb their nose. Who are they to bring up this up to us, the empire? And the, the, the blindness of all this, right? So just not the, the moral corruption, the moral rot that this further uh, uh, expands and, 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 and carries forth, but also, too, just the practical aspects. Look what's happening in the Red Sea. You know, this, this, you know all these ships that have to go around Africa now because of the Houthis and they're, you know, uh, they're probably not Boston whalers, but that's more or less the type of boat they're operating in. <laughs> they're shutting down about a fifth of the world's, you know, uh, global sea trade. And, uh, and haven't other countries refused to join the U.S. naval fleet there? Right. It really is the same cast of characters. Uh, uh, none of the Arab nations, none of the Gulf nations uh, decided to join, with the exception, I think, of Bahrain. And I don't even know what their commitment is. Many of the European nations that joined uh, this uh, this fleet, this uh, American led fleet to stop uh, this, you know, what the Yemenis are doing, uh, you know, are sending a couple of officers to do staff work at the U.S. fleet headquarters in Bahrain. Uh, and the British, the British seem to be the ones who are the most excited about this. The Times of London reporting this weekend that the Brits, the British military has plans to launch strikes into Yemen alongside of the Americans. I mean, the British, I think, are there are are there are they are our predecessors. We, we inherited their empire and say so they want to go along with us. Uh, to keep that spirit alive and to hold on to what they once had. And because they have an arms industry as well that requires these sorts of things, they have politicians that are betrothed to the arms industry as well as their own fantasies of imperial ambition or, or being good servants of the empire. Uh, you know, so, but the idea that rather than stopping the genocide, which is all the Yemenis are, are trying to do, this is what right. they are. And so it's very admirable how they are acting, what they are trying to accomplish. But rather than just stopping the genocide, we are choosing to pursue this new phase of a conflict, possibly re-sparking the war in Yemen, which has killed 400,000 people, uh, which but has been quiet for two years now. We're choosing to pursue that path of restarting that war, uh, as well as whatever else could come out of that, whatever else of type of unpredictable consequence could come from expanding this war in Gaza to Yemen. Uh, we're choosing to do that rather than stop sending our bombs and artillery shells and uh, hellfire missiles to aid the uh, Israelis in committing genocide. Why do you think that uh, Israel is pulling thousands of troops out of Gaza and why would they announce that they're doing it? Yeah, I, I, the reports I read of that, Judge, I, I felt like they were kind of truncated, those reports. Uh, so whether or not uh, uh, other troops are being rotated in, which would make sense at this stage, you're at a two-month mark uh, for uh, the ground forces in Gaza, 60 days. So I could see where they would be rotating their infantry and armor units out and, and new fresh ones in. 
Uh, but there's also, hey, look, the West Bank right now is a powder keg. It, it, you know, what was going on in the West Bank prior to October 7th with a couple hundred Palestinians gunned down by the Israeli military, by the border police, by the settlers, you know, the thousands that are held uh, in Israeli prisons, just the, the daily humiliation that the occupation in the West Bank does has been just supercharged, as we know, in these last few months that we'd spoke briefly about Lebanon, the possibility of the war expanding into Lebanon. And then, of course, the the, the constant uh, fear, uh, but in many parts desire for a further war into Syria, into Iraq, into Iran. And of course, we have those here in the United States that are just cheering that on. There are there are conference rooms throughout Washington, D.C. that are picking back up off the holidays today. So excited about the possibility of bringing Iran into this, of connecting Iran to Yemen, because Yemen's connected to Gaza, plus the overall uh, uh, belief that this is all uh, orchestrated by Iran, that Iran is some kind of a puppet master throughout the Middle East. Uh, you know, so, you know, you have many in both Tel Aviv and in Washington, D.C., as well as London, who want to see this thing expanded, uh, not just the arms makers, but the politicians, the ideologues, the, the, the Cretans that inhabit most of the think tanks in Washington, D.C. These are the people that want to see this thing expand. Here's uh, uh, an interesting summary, number six, Chris, of Israel pulling some thousands of troops out of Gaza. We will allow the soldiers to gather strength for the next activity, says the Israeli military spokesman. They could be needed on Israel's northern border. Over the weekend, militants attacked from Syria and Lebanon. Israel retaliated, striking Hezbollah targets. The threats to Israeli as well as U.S. interests also extend to the Red Sea. Iran sailed a warship into the waters today. A day after the U.S. Navy engaged four Houthi boats from Yemen that attacked a commercial ship, sinking three. And over the weekend, Tel Aviv once again saw protesters demand the resignation of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. And tonight, Major, he was dealt another blow. The country's Supreme Court struck down a controversial law that would have limited the judge's powers. Not a, an auspicious start of the year for Prime Minister Netanyahu. That's another, another very divisive uh, issue authoritarian in my view uh, on his part, but I'm interested in your military analysis of sending troops home. If you're going to send 20,000 troops home so they can rest, be with their families, take their uniforms off, take showers every day, do you announce it? No, I mean not. You, you don't. Uh, you, you don't telegraph it. You know, in any any sense of, of what you're going to do next. Um, you know, but. Why they made it so public, I'm not really sure, other than maybe to give some perception that they're winding down their campaign, even as uh, they are saying through other channels, including through the IDF, that this war in Gaza is going to last throughout this year. You know, no one in the Israeli government is shy about saying that this war is wrapping up anytime quick, that, you know, there's going to be no Netanyahu moment where he lands on an aircraft carrier, right, with a mission accomplished banner or right. anything like that anytime soon. So, you know, I mean, but there is this and you would think that because so much of this comes goes back to 1982 in the Israeli invasion of Lebanon. 
right? And that horrible occupation that created Hezbollah, right, just was a was a nightmare for Israel. Of course, a nightmare for the Lebanese. You know, I mean, just 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 the whole what that war did in terms of just gross instability and what it created, what came from it, how bad it was overall for the Israelis. There are many in Israel who think we just need to do it better this time. That and you have that here in the U.S. too. I mean, the, the the comparison between the Israeli military and the American military, you can't get away from it. I mean, these these are these are peas in the pod together. And the idea that okay, we can push into Lebanon, but we're not going to go all the way north this time. We're not going to go to Beirut. We're going to stop at the what is it, the Latani River, and we're going to have this buffer zone, and we're just going to create this buffer zone around. Uh, Israel, just like we did, we are going to annex that like we did the Golan Heights. And, you know, but it's it's a fantasy that has, uh, you know, the, the minor imperial ambitions, basically, because that's what this is about the conquest, uh, you know, fulfilling the, the greater Israel project, uh, as well as these crackpot ideas that physical security means you have to go and put troops forward, occupy ground, subjugate people, and that somehow that somehow that is going to make you more safe when everything we know says that is exactly what what creates what 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 engenders what 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 makes real uh, violent resistance to you and your project. Do you so, think yeah. that that uh, Netanyahu is in danger of losing American support? That the political pressure on Biden would become uh, overwhelming, or do you think that the Israel lobby in the U.S. is so strong that it owns the Congress and the White House? You know, I mean, the latter point, absolutely. So whoever the Israeli lobby wants us to support, we will support. Uh, but certainly, I think there's room within that to allow for a uh, softer, kinder uh, authoritarian uh, towards the Palestinians. Uh, so I, I think that <clears throat> certainly if you were to talk with uh, Tony Blinken or Joe Biden or even Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell, uh, they would privately but candidly say, yeah, we prefer to have someone other than Netanyahu. He's a huge pain in the ass. He's exposing us here. He's making things really difficult for us. We can't trust him, et cetera, et cetera. We'd rather have, you know, whoever, Benny Gantz or, or whoever. Uh, but it would be the same thing for the Palestinians, though. And the U.S., uh, position towards the Palestinians will be entirely dictated by the Israeli lobby, whoever is running Israel. What What is in it for the U.S. to support Israel? There's no national security interest whatsoever. Is it just the uh, economic connections between the Israeli lobby and, and members of Congress? That's what I come back to, Judge. I mean, it, it's it's there are relationships between the U.S. military and the Israeli military. Uh, there are relationships between the Americans' weapon manufacturers and and the uh, the Israeli man weapons manufacturers. There's economic, uh, larger economic uh, relationships because remember, prior to say 1973 or so, the 70s, uh, most American assistance to Israel was economic. So there's as Israel was was building out its economy. Uh, had a lot of support from the U.S. And so those types, that relate, that, a lot of relationships were built. Uh, there's a diaspora here, of course. Uh, there's the cultural, societal uh, relationships between Israel and the United States. But when you get down to it, like, what's the strategic value of this? I just don't see it. It, it makes the U.S. less safe. It makes the U.S. isolated. Uh, it's just not isolated by, uh, you know, from the Arab world and the in the in the in the, the the Gulf nations, but it's isolated from almost the entire world. Uh, 
you know, and in and, and the Europeans, with the exception of the Brits, go along with us in a way that gives me hope that possibly they're going to break at some point, not just on this, but also to on Ukraine and Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, Syria, all these different things. When will the Germans and French finally have the courage to break from us? They know it's the wrong thing to go along with us. When will they break from us? But you come back to that, uh, that lobby in the fact that, yeah, we have the larger problem is that we have a, a, a political system that is legalized bribery. Uh, you know, in some ways, I guess maybe you can characterize it as a protection racket, but it's legalized bribery. And so what you have then is you have APAC very clearly, what, two months ago now, saying that they will run a massive spending campaign against anyone who is not on their side uh, when it comes to Israel. So targeting the squad, so to say, saying they're going to spend $100 million in U.S. house races this year, which every, everyone who understands how much money that is for, say, seven or eight U.S. house races, that's enormous, right? right. So that, that type of, of power and that cudgel. And so what you have then, you have then legislators in D.C., but not just D.C., Judge, but also at the state level. Because remember, you have uh, an Israeli lobby that spreads out throughout the U.S. where you have throughout all these state capitals, these state laws that have been introduced, say, specifically to ban the state from doing business with anybody who supports the boycott, divestment and, and sanctions movement. So if you're if you're in many U.S. states, at least half, I believe, if you are going to get employment with the state, even as, say, a school teacher, or you're going to be doing working as a vendor or a contractor saying to go to fix the plumbing of a school, you have to sign a pledge saying that you will not take part in the BDS movement. And that wow. is held up in our Supreme Court, which is a whole other episode we can do about how corrupt our judicial system is. But, you know, I mean, so what you see then is you've got legislators at the federal level and the state level who are either terrified or APAC or very greedy for what APAC has to offer. Matt Ho, always a pleasure, my friend, no matter what we're talking about. Thank you very much for your time and your insight. We'll uh, see you again next week. Thank you so much, Judge. Of course, all the best, and Happy New Year again to you and your family. Uh, coming up at 3, Karen Kwiatkowski, and at 4, Larry Johnson, Judge of the Paul Channel for Judging Freedom.